So, we're in the book of Exodus. I'm so glad to be back because I, I miss being here. Um, love the Word and love to, to discuss it. Uh, we're in chapter 32. We started into it last, last time uh, a, a few weeks ago before uh, we took off for Jubilee. And then Pam and I missed last week, of course. So, and we... It's at the end of the 40 days that Moses has been on Mount Sinai and he's received the Ten Commandments and then um, he goes down the mountain, finds the people cavorting that they've made, a, um, they've made a, an idol. And uh, so verse 19. <clears throat> verse 19. So it was... As soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, so Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. The, the children of Israel were breaking at least the first several commandments, but then bro- Moses broke them all and threw them on the ground. Uh, he, then he took the calf, which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink the water that like the ashes were spread on the water. And then he made them drink the water from, from that thing. Um, there's a sin, there's a sin, no, there's that thing where they make the, the accused person drink that water that, that if a wife was accused of some, it, it sounds a little bit like that from Leviticus. But he, they all drink it, and Moses said to Aaron, what do these people do to you that you've brought such great sin upon them? So he's laying it on at Aaron's feet. Why, why did you take part in this? You, you should have been the voice of reason somewhere along the way. But Aaron, and we talked about this last time because it, Pam loves the story. It's kind of funny. He says, don't, hey, don't blame me. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that go before us. Because this Moses guy that brought us out, we don't know what's happened to him. And I said to him, okay, if you have any gold, just break it off and bring it to me. And but and the story, I threw it in the fire and this calf came out. It just boom, popped out. I mean, how bizarre. Yeah, yeah, four year old. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. <laughs> uh, so when Moses saw that people were unrestrained, un- unrestrained, that word there is um, translated a lot of different things. Some they had cast off restraint. Uh, that um, and part of it, I mean, some ways that the word is translated in different places that they were just naked, uh, but they. Uh, <clears throat> whatever it is, that restrained, and that Aaron had not restrained them. So Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, this is pretty simple, y'all. Whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. Just all, that's all. <clears throat> and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Does that mean only the sons of Levi came? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. It could mean that sons of Levi came and nobody else. Or it could mean that 
the sin, all the sons of Levi came in addition to other people, but whatever it was, the sons of Levi come. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. So from one end to the other and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Did he kill all his neighbors, all his companions, all his friends? No, because there's a limit to how many people ended up being killed. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, up in and up and down the camp, in and out, from entrance to entrance, it says. And, uh, and about 3,000 men fell that day. So there's, there's a couple million men. So only... There was 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. How about that? Mm-hmm. 3,000 here. Yep. Um, then Moses said, consecrate your souls today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man as opposed his son and his brother. Not every, but representative. They've, uh, <coughs> but they cleaned up to some extent. Uh, they cleaned up maybe ringleaders and maybe people who were troublemakers, uh, but they obviously didn't kill everybody, and everybody, even Aaron, was responsible for uh, for the sin that came to pass. Now, verse 30, it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Um, <clears throat> A lot of times, God sends a prophet to the people and tells them, do this, straighten up. I mean, even with, even with Pharaoh, there was opportunity for Pharaoh. He said, do this or something bad's going to happen. That wasn't, didn't happen here. There was no warning. There was no change. It's, it was already done, and they just, just a bunch of people got killed. They paid for it. No redirection. You know, we always talk about redirect, put kids in timeout and things like that. Um, tell somebody, hey, straighten up. That's redirect, right? Wasn't any of that. There was just judgment that came. And so 3,000 people end up dead. Right here, but this time, they heard from God themselves you know, about what not to do. Yeah. That- so so, what, so wasn't, it wasn't like Eve being deceived and hearing secondhand. They heard firsthand. That's you, don't right. get a, you don't get a warning if you heard firsthand. Plain and simple. And they said, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And it, now it's been 40 days, but that's all it took. After all the miracles they've seen, they've been fed, they've been fed and watered, they, uh, and miraculously fed and watered. Um, they came through the Red Sea. Every single person here has been through the Red Sea and seen miraculous seen the, the Pharaoh and his army drown. They've all seen it, and it, and it only takes them a few days. Isn't it a type of the baptism of water? That's right. Oh. Um, so it's Paul like, said that, that that was a kind of a baptism. So it's kind of like, you know, um, Hebrews 6, you know, that gives, you know, something about somebody falling away, you can't bring into repentance. They, you know, they've had the baptism. They've seen the things that come. They've heard the taste of God. So all these, they, they've seen so much from God, firsthand, then they choose to walk back. It says, yeah. 
you can't even bring them to repentance because they, you know, deny Christ a second time and have, you know, and, and God, contempt towards them. And God's told Moses, I'm giving up on them. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <clears throat> he wanted to kill them all, didn't he? Yes. Okay, so let's look at what it says. So verse 30, now it came to pass on the next day, Moses said, I'm going to go up and to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin, true, and have made for themselves a God of gold, true, yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, it doesn't say, but please, I mean, he says, forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. I mean, it shows how, I mean, Moses has seen more firsthand than anybody else has seen. Um, he's talking to God face to face as friend with friend. Nobody like that has talked to God since Abraham, or since Adam. Nobody's talked to God like that since Adam. No, um, this, which book is this? Is this the book of the living or the book of life? It's hard. Well, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I think it's the book of, well, it doesn't, I'm not sure it matters. But whatever it is, it's a big deal. Yeah. He's saying, just blot me out. That the book of the living, there were several, there were several cultures or, or civilizations that had what was called the book of the living. Um, the Medes, the Persians and the Medes had something called the book of the living. And it, and it just had in there, like, like we have history books that talk about Abraham Lincoln. So one of these things called the Book of the Living was a little bit like that. And if your name got blotted out for that, that could only happen if you did something really heinous, something really, really bad, and your name could be blotted out just like you'd never been in history. The Amplified says, Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray you, out of your book which you have written. Right. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him, not you, out of my book. Right. Yeah. And he cuts, Moses says, your book. Yeah. So, the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot, uh, I'll blot him out of my book. So, you're not going to pay for this. I've got a plan for that later on, but you're not going to do it right now, Moses. Uh, now, therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. So lead them to the promised land. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So they're going to suffer some consequences from it. <clears throat> But he's not going to do away with them. Um, okay, so chapter 33. That was the end of 32 that we had started last time. So verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people, whom you have brought, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I'll drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way for your stiff-necked people. God says, you're going to have to go, but I'm not going to go with you for a little. I just need a time out. 
Because if I'm around you right now, wives, have y'all ever felt like that? If I'm around you right now, you might not survive. Lest I consume you on the way. And when the, because you're stiff-necked people. What does stiff neck mean? Stubborn. Like a Philippians 4.3 reference is the book of life. Right. He says, and I entreat them also, true yoke fellow, help those women who, which labor, labor with me in gospel, with Clement also with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Right. So their names was not evidently blotted out. Mm-hmm. The book was blotted out of the book of life. Well, there's a book of life, there's a book of living. Everybody's in the book of living that ever existed. The book of life of those who just uh, who've responded to Christ Jesus. Well, that's his reference is at the book oh. of life here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I don't I still know what that book was there. Yes. <coughs> right. There's, there's, in Malachi it talks about well, the book of remembrance. Those couldn't have this couldn't be that book of life if they responded to Jesus because yeah. there weren't any Jesus to respond to. So yeah. um so the book of the living is referenced to... There's two different books mentioned in Daniel and in Revelation. Well, yeah, it mentions Daniel here too. In Daniel and Revelations, there's two different books. Yeah. At least it talks about them like they're two different books. and But I. But it talks about them in a similar way, so it's hard to tell if, there's, if it means there's actually two different books. I, or does it... That's something to look uh, into. Yes, that's right. Let's do that. Okay, stiff-necked people. This is like a donkey. That, and they, they won't go through the gate and they hold back like that. That's what the picture that God's talking about this bunch. And when the people heard this bad news, what's the bad news? Well, that he's not going up with them. He's not going to be in their midst anymore. Um, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. So they're like in mourning, like sackcloth and ashes kind of. Uh, they're not happy like they were before. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you're stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. So therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. I guess God was going to determine whether or not they were really penitent or whether they were sorry or not based on how they were going to dress. So Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called the tabernacle of meeting. There is no tabernacle yet. They've had the instructions on how to build the tabernacle, but nobody has built it yet. So so Moses takes his own tent and goes a little ways from the camp and sets it up, and that's going to be where he's going to meet with God. And he's calling it the tent of meeting. Not like we have a tabernacle tent of meeting or something like that. It's the tent where God meets with Moses. That's what the meeting is, because nobody else goes there. came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when he entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the, stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. So... They just watch from a ways off what happens. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man at his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, son of Nun, 
a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. So for some reason, Joshua, the same Joshua that's one of the spies eventually, stays and keeps an eye on Moses' tent outside the camp. Um, He stays there. So Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, Show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. I mean, he's asking God to reconsider everything. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That's one of Jeff's favorite. My favorite prayers. <laughs> favorite prayer. Yeah. Um, say more about that, Jeff. I'm just saying I've seen too many people get into their place they want to be and God wasn't with them because they got there early, they got there by their own means, and they just really messed up their life or messed up that opportunity. And so I don't want to go anywhere into, I don't want to be exalted, I don't want to be promoted unless God goes with me. You know, like what some people say, you know, um, where anointing will take you or where uh, blessing you know, take you, only character will keep you. And of course, that character is infused with Jesus Christ himself. So, yeah, so I pray this almost every day. There's, I mean, he's just, God just said, I'll go up with you. Mm-hmm. But Moses doesn't just assume that that's a permanent kind of situation. He's, he's telling God, uh, yeah, I need you to go with me. And if you're not going to go with me, then don't take me anywhere. Yeah. Just leave me where I'm at. I'm willing to stay where I'm at until you go with me. I'm not going to assume that I'm God's anointed now and everything's whatever hunky-dory and anything I think of to do is good. That's not how it works. Moses said, I need you with me. Otherwise, don't don't send me. Don't bring us up. For uh, And he said, uh, I will make my good... No, no, no. For then he will... Then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you, except you go with us. In, in other words, to pe- even people around us, nobody's going to know that we're yours unless you go with us. It's the same way that Abraham was blessed in all the different places that he went. It was because God was there. And I think that Moses is asking that same thing for all the people of Israel. We want that same blessing because that's the only way that we're going to be confirmed as being your people. Is well, we that, can, that's an inheritance. I was inheritance of Levites. My presence is your inheritance. And to us believers, that's our inheritance too. I mean, that inheritance is more important than anything else. That's right. And so I don't want a, God's you know, blessing to not have his presence. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, if I don't have his blessing to have his presence, I'm still blessed. That's right. Um, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And uh, Moses says, show me your glory. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And he said, but you cannot see my face. Now, he just, we were told that he was... Doing face to face, but it's not apparently not God's actual face because he says, you can't see my face for no man shall see me and live. 
And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on this rock or in the cleft of the rock. So it shall be when my glory passes by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then when I go away, you can see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Someone said that they had studied that and that God showed him the history. Okay. That when he went past, he showed him the history. I think that... Um, Is that where he saw Jesus too? I, I think in the next chapter... Let's look at the next chapter and see, okay. because I think that what God shows him is what's in the next chapter, verse 5. Let's go forward and look at that. So the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone, um, and I'll write the, on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. I think that's funny. So be ready in the morning. Come up to the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there on the top of the mountain, and no one, nobody will come up with you just like before. No man's going to go on the mountain, no flocks, or no animals on the mountain, no, nothing on the mountain. Uh, so he cut two tablets of stone down there at the bottom like the first ones. And Moses rose early in the morning, went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. I think this is what he saw. This is when God passes by, this is what he saw. <clears throat> the Lord, the God, uh, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions of sin, by no no means uh, clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I think that's what God's hinder parts are. God's hinder parts are graciousness, long-suffering. Because, see, there's a parallel to what he's describing right there. So that's, his, that's what Moses got when he passes by. Mercy, graciousness, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, mercy to a thousand. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Um. That doesn't mean that the children suffer the punishment or the judgment that the ones that sinned get. Just like he said, because he said several times, he said, no, Moses, I'm not going to blot you out. I'm going to blot out the ones who did the sin. Other people aren't going to pay for another person's sin until this special plan that I have, and that's Jesus, of course. So when he says... Visiting the iniquities of fathers upon children, children of the fourth, third and fourth generation. In Deuteronomy, well, let's just look at that. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. So judgment isn't going to come on these two, for generations. What does come? Just the normal consequences of sin. I mean, it, the... You think this <coughs> A penchant, a penchant for sin? Say if a father was alcoholic, then the generations after that have a penchant for alcoholism? Yeah. Or for... that That's what the consequences of that are? Maybe so. Um, there are sins that if you commit those sins, then there's a likelihood that your children will follow in that. 
partly that this is not knowing any better, but yeah. but sometimes, like um, <clears throat> worshiping the idols and all that kind of stuff, that had constant. Even the though the kids in later generations didn't do it. They still suffered the consequences of it, which was to be sent off into captivity and be slaves and and not have a home and eventually get to come back several generations later. But they're not receiving the judgment from God for it. They're just receiving the residual effects of it. Reaping what they sowed. Yes. Yeah. Reaping what somebody else sowed. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that's passed down spiritually or DNA too. Because I've I've heard some people talk about they have adopted somebody from birth, right? And then years later, that person's having problems, and they look right. back and and they find out this kid's having the yeah. same problems from the family that gave them birth. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And they're in completely you know, much better environment, right? So that's that nature versus nurture. Yeah, that sometimes that there there is some, and there's a lot of theories about how that, a lot of like yeah. scientific kind of theories about how that happens. But whatever it is, it that's what it's being described here. Well, it's only the four generations, though. So the fifth generation is going to be set free, I guess. If that's grace. what that means, yeah. literally. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Say again? The number five is grace. Yes. Because, I mean, much more than that, your whole family is going to be wiped off the earth. Right. Um, what, what was your question? Sorry, I'm... Still, well, was it after the fourth? You know, fifth oh, okay, generation? okay, yeah. that's right. Sometimes in Hebrew literature, the way it says is it sets up this pattern, and it may mean literally that it ends with the fourth generation, or it may just mean a pattern goes on kind of yeah, for several generations. And yeah. so, it, as far as as far as interpretation goes, there's a there's a couple of different theories on how that what that could mean. And it could mean it literally. Uh, I'm for the most part, I think that the Bible, that you do pretty well if you talk about it literally. So, all right. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are sifting people and pardon our iniquity, our sin, and take us as your inheritance. So that's why he prays to God. And God says back to him, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been seen in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. So he's going to give them this blessing, for it's an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzites, and the Hivites. And the Jebusites, all of the parasites, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants. Remember this verse right here, because it's going to come back to haunt them when they come to the promised land after the fall of the battle, fall of Jericho, and all that stuff. This verse right here is going to come back to haunt them. Take heed, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. Just be careful. I mean, he's telling them, don't, don't do it. Don't accidentally do it. Don't sing a song about doing it. Don't write a story about doing it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But you shall 
destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. Did they do that? No. Hundreds of years later, up to King Josiah's day, they're fighting these stinking altar-worshiping poles and altars and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Lest you make a covenant... Uh, okay. Uh, for you shall worship no other god for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with other gods and make sacrifice to their gods. One of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and the daughters play the harlot. He's describing King Solomon right there. All of that stuff happened with King Solomon. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. They just finished with the calf thing, right? But, but God's given these things to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's exactly the same things he's talking about before. This, that's part of the Ten Commandments there. Make no other molded gods. 18, the feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall leave unleavened bread. So that's the Passover, right? Yes. Uh, all, that, uh, all that open the womb are mine. So the firstborn of everything is God's. Some of it is going to be actual sacrifices, but if it's a firstborn son, then they're going to be dedicated to, to God. Uh, they're not going to sacrifice any kids, right? Yes. Because all the sons down there at the bottom, the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. And so the, uh, there'll be somebody that stands in, in place of them, right? And none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Who all rests? Everybody. Slaves rest, uh, uh, foreigners rest, everybody rests. Horses and donkeys. <laughs> everybody, that's right. Every, everybody rests. And you shall observe the Feast of Weeks, of uh, the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. So that's two more feasts where they're going to, they got the Passover and they got the feast, the first feast, and then the end of the harvest time, that feast. Three feasts. For I'll cast out the nations before you in larger borders. Uh, verse 23, sorry. Three times in the year, your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. And that happened all the way up into Jesus' time. And it's going to be reestablished during the millennial reign as well. That's right. Three times. Uh, for I will cast out the nations before you in larger borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord, your God, three times in the year. Now, it's quit after, in 70 AD, it quit. Why did it quit? Why did they stop having? No more temples. <laughs> right. There's no more temple. They can't, they can't sacrifice anymore until the temple's rebuilt. They're, un, they're in any way to do all this stuff. Um, they still celebrate the Passover, but they don't go and do all the offerings and stuff that they are performed when the priests do it at the temple. Because there's only one temple, but many synagogues. But That's right. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that we need to be reminded of is that every little city, Chandler would have had a synagogue if we had been a bunch of Jewish people, that there had to be six men, heads of household. So it couldn't be six, it couldn't be three men and two young boys that, you know, work out in the sheep or something like that. There had to be six Jewish men who were head of the households and they could have their own synagogue. And so when Jesus is going around from town to town, that he's, he's uh, ministering in the synagogue sometimes. So, but that's different. They had those up in Galilee, 
And they had them all around in uh, Judea, but there was only one temple in Jerusalem. There were, there were uh, synagogues in all those places. Uh, I mean, they still have synagogues today. There's yeah. a synagogue in Oklahoma City. Sacrifice there, yeah. Okay, um, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Okay, that's the rules of the Passover. And the first uh, fruits of your land, that's the rules for, in verse 26 there, that's the rules for the, fir- the Feast of Weeks or whatever. Write these words, uh, for according to the tenor of these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, again, second time. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the word, and God wrote on the tablets, Yahweh wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant of the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, I think they're exactly the same as before. It said they were written on one side and the other. So double-sided, um, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face uh, shone while he talked with him. And so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. They were so afraid to come near him that when he comes down, they start to head up to him, and when they realize, they all run away. Even Aaron runs away. Everybody runs away. And when they saw the bolden... Oops. Okay, hold on a second. We got in the New Testament there for, for just a second. I wasn't paying attention to my nose. Um, so, this reminded me of in Acts. This is after the crucifixion. And Peter and John have um, been taken by the the Pharisees, and they've questioned them. And in it's uh, in Acts chapter four, verse thirteen. So they're they're talking to them, and Peter and John are are talking back to them. And they were the kind of guys that you didn't talk back to them. How many of y'all have ever known somebody that you didn't talk back to? All of y'all are old enough to know uh, know a time when you didn't talk back to certain people. Sarge is that guy. Yeah, Sarge is not here. Um, But they talk to the Sanhedrin, and their arguments are very cohesive, very logical, and, and very based on Scripture, and the Pharisees don't know what to do with them. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men because they were just, they were fishermen. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's the way it is. When Moses comes down off the mountain, they marvel because they know he's been with God. It didn't, they could see from far away that stuff was going on on the mountain. Just like they could see that God was talking to him face to face when he, when we would come away from the tent of meeting when the, the cloud had been there. But something's different now that, I mean, they can tell just by looking at him that something's different. Not by what he said, and not from being able to see from far away all of the stuff that's going on. Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned back to him. They've run away, and he calls them back. And Moses talked with them then, 
Afterward, all the children of Israel came near too. Everybody comes near. And he gave them all the commandments that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. Uh, And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. So he covers his face up so that they can stand to look at him some more. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he'd take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, Moses would put the veil on uh, on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So he kept that veil over his face because they were afraid. They were, I mean, it seemed like, that, wouldn't you want to see that? Not if you had not, sin in yeah, your life. Not I, if you had sin was, in your life. That's the truth. That's you I know, said. they say at Azusa Street, the black man that was there, they said he wore a sack over his head. Why, I don't know. Uh, but he was one of the uh, persons that, that the Holy Spirit met them people there. Or Azusa, at the Azusa, Azusa Street, Street Revival? Yeah. 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 Um, so... It sounds like he wore it all the time. Um, because they couldn't stand Moses' face. It scared them. It convicted them. It did something. What? I'm of the belief that we should impact people that way. That we, if, if we're having an encounter with Jesus and and some of you may have experienced this before, that people have been convicted around you and didn't, sometimes didn't like you. People that you may have worked with or something didn't like you because they perceived that there was a certain holiness about you. And I don't mean holier than thou kind of thing where you lord it over people, but there, there's some kind of difference. And um, Well, there, there is an anointing that comes upon you. And I think anointing has like a half-life. I mean, I've, I've seen this in my own life, but also other ministries where you're ministering, power of God's on you, but it just doesn't leave you. Right. You know, and there's some time you can walk out, and I've seen people's faces light up too. Right. And it'll take a couple of days for it to seem to like going to normal. Right. But even when people speak to you afterwards, power of God's still activated, and that can be dangerous mm-hmm. if, you know, somebody's walking in sin and doesn't want to face the truth. Well... It says that in the scriptures that they'll that they'll either want the Lord or they're going to go away from the Lord. In where he's that's saying, right. Okay, yes. you're saying some people respond yeah. to it positively yeah. and yeah. some yeah. Them yeah. respond because negative. they're convicted and they're going to yes. turn away. And they, yeah, and that's when you experience that sometimes where people don't want to be, don't like you and don't want to be around you. And in jobs, sometimes secular jobs, you see that a lot of times. Um, Some, my personal experience is sometimes when I've bought into, and I don't, uh, let me see if I can get all this out in a way that makes sense. When, when God's moved in such a way that you're going, oh yeah. I mean, and there's a, an excitement in you and because you're, you're interacting with the Holy Spirit in a way that you're continuing to receive from it. And, and that's what people see. And I, how could Moses not be affected by this interaction with God that ha- nobody's had since Adam? Yeah. 
face to face like friend with friend. So the, that caused this thing that, that people could see and were afraid of. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about it. He talks about the impact that the Holy Spirit has on us. So he's been talking in chapter 3 about the whole Moses experience when he came down off the mountain. He says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. But we all... Now, this is talking about uh, you and me right now. Paul is talking about that. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, then and we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So that's where we live in this thing that Moses had that Paul says in chapter 3 right here of 1 Corinthians of uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Moses' stuff faded away. So according to what Paul is saying, which is a teaching that the Jewish people had for, this is now hundreds and hundreds of years later in Paul's day, they had a teaching that said that that Moses' glow faded away. So there's a time when he didn't need to wear the, the veil anymore. That scripture that I was referring to is in 2 Corinthians 2 and 14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that are perish. To the one we are the savor of, uh, of death, unto death, and to the other, the Savior of life unto life, and who is sufficient for these things? That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Four, yeah, 14. Okay, so yeah. that's right before yeah. chapter 3. It's a whole part of that picture that Paul is drawing this, using the story of Moses going up on, on the mountain. But, but he's talking about the the situation that of where we are in Christ yeah, and then compares it to Moses. Um, a lot of times what Paul was doing was trying to correct people's ideas about Moses. And you even find Christians nowadays who want to go back to some of this mosaic law stuff and, and want to, I, I don't know if it's nostalgia or what it is, but they want to go back to some of that stuff. And Paul, in, in Hebrews, he does it. And in Corinthians here, he does it. He said, the Moses thing was fading. It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't something that we need to aspire to. We've got more than that inside of us right now. Brother Sheriff says people come to the Lord and then under want to grudge. live under law. <laughs> That's yeah. because Old Testament was outer appearance. New Testament is inner, inner. being. Yeah, and so outer appearance is easy to deal with, understand. Yeah, flesh yeah. is easy to do things. Yeah. Right where the, it says right here, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yes. But a lot of people want to go back into let's make a bunch of rules yeah. again. I yeah. said it's the only thing that violates the second law of thermodynamics, which says things come apart, things get less. I mean, in scientific ways, it says without, a, without some kind of influence from the outside, like a battery or something providing some energy, without that, things run down. 
things come apart. Things get less organized. And I've said many times that the church is the only one that violates that because it wants to get more organized and more uh, less free and more rules and more uh, more boundaries. Um, when uh, they want to do it on their own under the law. That, that's right. That, that's right. Don't want to trust God anymore. Don't want to trust the God in each other anymore. Yeah. We got to make some rules because I don't like how Jimmy does his hair, and so we need to we need to fix that. I mean, and really, I'm, it's true. It's true. They, the carpet's they, the wrong color. <laughs> so let's fight about it. Women, I, I don't like all these women wearing pants. They need to be wearing dresses. So I'm going to make a rule about that. They can't have short hair either. And you can't have long hair, can't have short hair. Can't have... <laughs> Jesse, it is amazing. Jesse DePlantis tells of the, the, he, the Lord led him to a church. And the pastor got up and said he hated all the people. He hated all the people. And the woman that had donated the piano was trying to get it out of the church. And anyway, all this commotion was going because of that. And when he preached, they all repented and come to the Lord. Does he have long hair? No. <laughs> they all repented after, all, after he preached because they needed to repent. <laughs> he got in some situations. <laughs> yeah, Jesse yeah, Jesse. Yeah. He's not the one who said he hated people. No, the pastor did. Pastor did. But the pastor yeah. got up and said, I hate them. <laughs> Why would you want to still be doing the job if you hated them? Because he was That's, wrong. <laughs> yeah. well, but look at Moses. Moses has every reason to hate the people. They're so yeah. frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. he still loves the people. Yes. Loves he said, it just blocked yeah. my name. Out. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the difference between somebody who loves the position versus love the people. Yeah. yeah. That's good. But, that's, but I've seen people, the piano's not sitting in the right place. It needs to be on this side of the house or whatever. And, you know, offense like comes over. and woe unto them that brings it. Yes. Through whom yes. all yes. this yes. comes. Yes. Yes. Um, it's the devil. Yeah, it's the devil. That's for sure. Um, I'm so thankful here because, I mean, I, nearly every church I've been in, there's been people that just... They're what something that they prefer, whether it's the food you're eating or the, how the temperature is, or uh, I mean, uh, it almost anything. Just their preference about a thing is the thing that they think is right, yeah, mm -hmm. and or good or uh, godly or whatever. I mean, it's just bizarre. So I'm so thankful for that Victory Life Chandler because it's uh, it's a bunch of people that apparently. Like each other, love each other, love each other. You can love each other and not like each other. Yeah, that's we true. We have people that don't like each other. It's good. Yeah, so. Jimmy's not always like me, but he's all. But he's always loved me. <laughs> well, I'm just telling I'm the truth. Saying, I'm not good. I'm not either. I'm not either. Good job. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Yes, we need it. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for a, a, a church uh, full of people that, that love you and love each other. Father, I pray that our heart for this town would be, be tender, 
Yes, and that, amen. that as you show us ways that we can minister, uh, even as a church, Lord, that you'll just uh, that you'll give us the resources that we need to be able to meet those needs. Father, for this weekend, we pray for unity in the community that that we truly will see uh, evidence of unity. That that so many more groups are coming together this year. I pray that you'll bless bless the seed that's been planted where that's concerned. And, and Lord, that this um, that this would be an opportunity for our, for our community to really come together. And um, I pray that we, as Victory Life here in Chandler, would be able to be a blessing this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.